The Last Word with Matt Cooper. It's our weekly last word on the environment spot with our good friend John Gibbons. And let's start with the culling of deer. Why is this likely to happen? Uh, good evening, Matt. Yeah, we, we have a problem basically in Ireland with um, essentially deer have no natural predators in Ireland and they're very fertile, let's just say. And what we have basically is an explosion in the population of wild deer. We have three species of deer. We have the, 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 the native red deer, the Irish deer, and we have uh, two, other, two other breeds. But basically between them, their population has absolutely exploded. To give you an example, it's estimated that there's about 150,000 deer in Wicklow, in County Wicklow alone, right? So basically they're, they're very, very um, voracious eaters and they're prodigious breeders. So basically, when you remove the natural predators from any species, like uh, these are basically herbivores uh, who are normally managed by predators, we've obviously eliminated all the predators capable of uh, taking on deer and essentially leaving a population explosion situation. And to managing it, Matt, is, is quite the job. I mean, last year, for example, uh, agents working on behalf of the state uh, killed shot 55,000 deer trying to manage this issue. Now, back in 1995, we were killing five or 6,000 a year. So you would think that uh, this culling program would be beginning to manage the deer population downwards. But it turns out, uh, ironically, that shooting and culling deer appears to be increasing their fertility rate. And I'll explain that briefly. How could that be? Yeah, okay. Basically, uh, normally uh, within within uh, deer households, if we can call it that, right, the stag, the dominant stag basically has the breeding rights over the females. Now, the dominant stag, being a big, physical, powerful unit, is more likely to get shot. When the dominant stag kills, basically it's a free-for-all. It's, a, it's an orgy in the hills, right? And the breeding rate and the fertility rate shoots up. I'm not kidding you. This is what happens. So what we're seeing is attempts, shall we say, uh, to manage the, the deer breeding is in fact leading to, uh, as I say, wild times in the hills. Okay, then a couple of things arise out of that. Are you actually in favour of the culling of the deer? I mean, as an environmentalist, do you not sort of say just sort of live and let live when it comes to animals? No, I mean, I know we all have that Bambi moment. Of course we do. And, and deer, they're so cute and their eyelashes and all the rest. The problem is, in this situation, deer amount to an invasive pest because they're, they're out of balance. And this happens, Matt, in any ecological system where there's, no, where there's a loss of balance. And the problem here is that deer... Because they don't have predators and because humans shooting them are so inefficient, as, as I've just described, basically their population numbers are going up and up and they're creating ecological havoc. They're overgrazing, for example, into national parks and state parks. They're overgrazing hillsides. So what we're getting from that is increase in flooding, increase in damage to soils. And also they're wiping out the ability of young trees, saplings to actually establish. So from an ecological point of view, deer are an invasive species and their numbers have to be managed where I would profoundly disagree with the Irish Deer Management Strategies Group report is I don't see anything in this advocating for the return of the only solution that has been found to work long-term in managing wild herbivores, which of course is the reintroduction of their natural predators that are really good at this stuff. The obvious examples being wolves, number one, and lynx, number two. 
for example, a long-term study. I know people are saying, oh my God, we're going to be eaten in our bed by the but wolves. But you is that not dangerous to the human population to bring back wolves and lynx? Well, let's think of it this way, Matt, right? Wolves, obviously, were, were hunted to extinction in Ireland over 400 years ago. It was thought to be a good idea to, 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 make, to make the countryside safer, etc. And, of course, we have this powerful legacy of, of uh, if you like, fairy tales around the, the big bad wolf and so on. The reality is that any wolves that have survived into the modern era are extremely shy of humans. There was a longitudinal study done in Norway. They looked at a 20-year period and they found in that time that there's lots of wolves, by the way, in Norway. They were reintroduced, again, for this exact reason. And the wolves... They steer clear of humans. They don't want contact. The ones that have been wily enough to survive this long, it has bred into them that humans are bad news. So wolves will go out of their way to avoid all contact with humans. So that the idea or the, the likelihood of a human being injured or killed by a wolf in the wild is, is remote. You're far more likely, by the way, to be killed by an Alsatian. Okay, until it does happen and then there'll be murder about it. And there are a lot of people watching. Is this one of the rare occasions when you're actually on the same side as the farmers, so That I, the ICMSA is looking for this as well. That, that's right. And in fact, the, the, the chairman of this group, uh, Teddy Cashman, is a dairy farmer. And uh, yes, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to report that we're, we're ad idem, Matt, on oh this My God, issue. I'm in shock. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, what about, can the males not be uh, gilded uh, to prevent breeding instead of killing them, says one listener. Sure, how do you do that? How do you catch uh, and, and geld hundreds of thousands? And remember, these are very, very fast-moving, stealthy, wild animals that are far better at scaling mountainsides than you and me. Okay. Um, can we use the deer for meat? Can you eat the meat if of you course, kill yeah. these wild deer? Yeah, venison, absolutely, sure. I mean, venison, it's a, a, as they say, it's gamey. So people who, who like their, their red meats, if you like a very deep red meat, then venison, uh, it wouldn't be my particular cup of tea, but I'm sure some of your listeners will, will enjoy venison. It's a very rich uh, meat because uh, deer, obviously, are, are, are very muscly. Um, but yeah, of course it can be eaten. And in fact, some of the deer hunters and the deer stalkers who are involved in this, they do sell it on. But apparently, there was a disruption to the venison market during the, the COVID lockdown. In fact, COVID, believe it or not, led to a further explosion in deer numbers because the deer stalkers were more or less grounded for about a year. So, so that gave the deer an extra year to, to sort of uh, really up their game, so to speak. Okay, right. <laughs> Let's move on to something else. We had the Minister for Agriculture, Charlie McConnell, with us on Monday uh, saying about how well the dairy sector is doing in reducing emissions as part of our national strategy to uh, cut emissions by 51% by the end of the decade. One of the things that he said to me when I challenged him about the percentage of Irish emissions which were due to agriculture, he made the point that we don't have heavy industry in this country and because we don't have that producing the emissions that's happened in other countries, it gives a disproportionate effect to the emissions coming from the agricultural sector. Is that not a fair point? Yeah, I think it's a it's a reasonable, it's a pretty you know rudimentary observation, sure. I suppose the real challenge for uh, agricultural emissions in Ireland is not so much that they're at a particular level, Matt, it's that they're going up, right? At a time when every sector of the economy and society is mandated to reduce emissions, agricultural emissions, and again, this didn't happen by accident. I mean, we know, for example, because of government policy, particularly between 2010 and 2020, uh, we had uh, an increase of about uh, 20% 
in agricultural emissions uh, in the livestock sector, specifically related to the rapid expansion of the dairy herd. Not just an expansion in numbers, Matt, but also an intensification of production. Yeah, this is because of the removal of the quotas. Sure, the removal of the quotas, which again, bear in mind, that didn't happen by accident. That was something that Ireland lobbied politically to to happen. And Ireland was probably the only country in Europe that really went gangbusters at increasing their their dairy number during that period. And you might say, well, why didn't the French do it? Why didn't the Dutch do it if if the quotas were gone? And the reason is that these countries have already experienced the the huge negative downsides of rapid expansion of, in particular, of dairying. It's a very uh, pollution-intensive sector. And in fact, in, in countries like Holland, farmers are being incentivized to actually cut back and in some cases to actually stop dairying. So we kind of went in exactly, uh, if you like, a counterfactual position. We went in the opposite direction and decided the hell with it, we'll just expand here anyway. I suppose various promises were made by ministers like um, Simon Coveney that we could do all of this without increasing emissions and without increasing pollution. They were talking about efficiencies. And what we've seen, Matt, is all these efficiencies have come to naught. Yeah, but are we actually measuring the methane emissions correctly because meat and dairy companies now are looking for a new way to calculate and report their methane emissions because they say would better account for the short-lived nature of the gas. That's right. This is a, a system called GWP Star. I don't want to kind of bore listeners with the technicalities, but it's a, a slightly different accounting system. Now, the IPCC uses a system called GWP 100, which basically measures the impact of methane over a 100-year time frame. Now, GWP Star does a slightly different thing. It basically says that if, for example, you, you make modest reductions to your herd, you can you can experience a, a global cooling effect from that. And therefore, the argument from the agricultural industry is sure look, if we if we achieve small reductions over the next number of years, effectively that will that will be will be carbon neutral. Now there's a paper out today actually um, in, in one of the in one of the, the peer reviewed journals that has looked at this and basically they asked the question are the livestock industries climate neutral arguments, which by the way they've taken to Dubai to the COP twenty eight to push this idea of carbon neutrality. And basically they've done the numbers on it and they've looked at some of the claims made by groups like the um, National Cattle and Beef Association in the US who claim to be heading for climate neutrality by 2040 and so on and so forth. And what they found basically is that the the notion of climate neutrality uh, from the livestock sector is a misnomer. And the very idea of a cooling effect is only temporary. But hold on. Carbon lasts for hundreds of, year, hundreds of years. Thousands, in fact, yeah. Thousands, right. Methane apparently has a lifespan of only up to about 12 years. That's a half-life. It begins to, 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 to deteriorate away. Also, bear in mind, Matt, when... when, when but surely that does not suggest that methane is far less serious than carbon and that we shouldn't be concentrating on it, particularly when it arises from the production of much-needed food. Okay, a couple of things to understand here. The first is what are called methane flows. So if you, for example, have a pulse of methane, right? Okay, that will, that will uh, remove itself from the atmosphere beyond a 12-year period. The problem is we have what's called a flow of methane. In other words, we're constantly adding methane to the chain. So as, it, as it's deteriorating at one end, Matt, we're pushing more of it in at the other. So the GWP star system that the industry likes to talk about, which claims that a small reduction in methane will lead to a large cooling effect, what they neglect to mention in the same breath is that a small increase 
in methane production, like we're seeing year by year in Ireland, leads to a gigantic increase in the global warming effect. So what we've been hearing from the industry about GWP Star is half the story. In fact, Professor Miles Allen, who's in COP on an Irish uh, government ticket, he's made the very point that the Irish dairy sector has been very one-sided in its reporting on this. Okay, listener says regarding the deer conversation, deer are also spreading Lyme disease, especially to people who like to hike and camp, which is actually a very interesting point. There's one last thing, it was mentioned by Andrew in the 5 of 5, uh, the UK advertising watchdog banning adverts by three airlines over misleading green claims. Explain this a bit more to us. Sure, yeah. The, 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 the culprits in question is Air France, Lufthansa and Etihad. So they've been putting out essentially a series of statements. Uh, Etihad's advert, for example, they offered customers could travel with, quote, total peace of mind. And they also described the airline as being involved in, quote, environmental advocacy, right? So basically, Etihad is your friend. They're trying to work with you to reduce emissions from the airlines. Now, when these claims were investigated by the Advertising Standards Authority, they were found to be, you'll be surprised to hear, without any foundation whatsoever. Um, and this is the situation, and I, I see it here as well, Matt, in Ireland, that we have basically, and in fact, even coming into studio this afternoon, I, I passed by, a, a, I think it was a stockbroker firm, and the first word that jumped out of their window display on, on NASA Street was sustainability. Basically, everybody now in every sector are throwing, they're throwing slogans about greenness and sustainability around like snuff at a wake. These these phrases are flying at us. And the, the challenge and the issue, I think, with the, with the advertising in the UK as well as Ireland is that if you or I produce a misleading ad about, for example, about emissions, you can get that ad, as long as it passes the legal department of Today FM or RT or whoever, you can get that ad on air. And by the time somebody like me has complained about it, lodged a complaint, gone through the whole review process with the Advertising Standards Authority of Ireland guess what? Your ad campaign is finished and you've actually achieved your effect. So I would suggest briefly what we need to do is to have a method of screening ads before they're allowed so that all these bogus green claims can be filtered out before they get onto air. John Gibbons, thank you for joining us for our weekly Last Word on the Environment. The Last Word with Matt Cooper. Today.